0: go that's
1: the volume <laughs>
2: uh, no don't do that <laughs> was it loud that was really fucking loud sorry these headphones already hurt my head <laughs> it's because your head's so big it's full of secrets I tell you literally everything. <laughs> now it's from me Girls. I know. Ah. Ah. <laughs> okay, are we doing it? It's Secrets for Other People. Is it time? Yes, let's do no, it right now. Yet. Let's give it a minute. Yeah. Let's let it marinate. Yeah. All right, I'm ready. Are you ready? Let's do it. Okay. Jake?
0: Hello, everybody. Welcome to Death by Music Podcast. I am Jake, as always, here with Cassie and Alex. Present. Uh, got another... Episode coming at you today. Finally. Sam Cook, finally, <laughs> Sorry. yes. it's fine. Second to last of the season three, so we're almost done. I with can't see
2: can't fucking wait to be done with this season. <laughs> uh,
0: yeah, it's been a long one.
2: <laughs> We've done so
1: much research.
2: And doing doubling it up with the 27 Club one was like not our brightest decision. But we are almost done. We've got Sam Cook today, and he's really fucking good. What was that? ding dong was that yours jake
0: no i think that that was
2: that oh that was mine okay i'm gonna turn my sound off
0: whoops yeah while we're thinking about it
2: um wow it's like we haven't done 50 fucking episodes of this shit (laughs) um yeah (laughs) it's the ninth episode of the third season (laughs) 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 hooray we're almost there and this one's really good if you listen to season two we covered bobby fuller and his death was kind of like a weird weird circumstances they marked it as a suicide but it made literally no sense um it was pretty much like a homicide um but they never investigated it and there were all these weird circumstances surrounding it so if you haven't listened to the bobby fuller episode i do recommend that you go back and listen to that one first because they kind of tie in and when I have similar characters.
1: When I was at work today, I was looking through some forty fives that came in, and we had a Bobby Fuller Four, and it had, I had. You fought have the guns law. at work? No. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> the the record,
2: <laughs> the single, you know.
1: Um, okay. But we had a Bobby Fuller Four, and it had "I Fought the Law" on one side. I forgot Aww. to look at the other
2: side. I was like, "Oh wow, that's cool." Okay, put it in the podcast collection. I thought it was going deaf in my right ear because it was really, really silent, but it was just my hair under the headphones. I was like, oh no, (laughs) it's beginning. (laughs) I do have
1: to say before we get started, I am glad the undo button works and is a thing because I got halfway through me writing in this document and I hit a button and it was the wrong button and the entire document disappeared. (laughs) And I was like... Oh, my God. <laughs> As it was happening. And I was like, but there's an undo button. So I didn't freak out. But like in other circumstances, I would have. Oh, my
2: God. That so. would have been so depressing. We've luckily never had that problem before yeah. where our work like that gets deleted. Yeah. Only after we record. Cassie. Look. If you're not sure what I'm talking about, I, I'm referring to the time that Cassie deleted a whole mini episode. I didn't delete it. It was
1: there. It just didn't.
2: And then it was transfer. Gone. You didn't delete it. You just erased it no
1: <laughs> i opened it up and all the files were there and, and the, then and I, then they weren't i did what you asked me to do and when i reopened it because everything like went wonky Look, cassie it's fine and then no files were it's there fine. all the cells were there but they were all I'm empty i'm not holding a grudge all right it sounds like sources
2: it. okay wikipedia uh <laughs> there was also one from people magazine uh why mystery still shroud singer sam cook's shooting death nearly six years later that was by jordan Runtag. Uh,
0: i only put one in there i used uh, remastered the two killings of sam cook a sam cook story on netflix
2: oh cool i have to watch that all things thriller <laughs> um playing
1: roulette with the mob part one sam cook by pamela lowe saldana
2: oh yeah i think that was mine too yeah, and th- that was that. also a huge source for me with the bobby fuller one because like this oh, okay. chick did a whole like i mean it was like a six-part series oh, cool. on all the fucked up shady shit surrounding like mob stuff that was going on. So Bobby Fuller was in that too, and then she did one whole segment on Sam Cooke. Cool. So so far this season we have covered Selena, the Queen of Tejano, Peter Steele, the God of Goth, Aaliyah, the Princess of R and B, and tonight we are flipping over to the King of Soul himself, Sam Cooke. Not only is his voice absolutely incredible, but his contributions to soul music were also notably influential, too. However, as with all of our stories, this one's going to end in tragedy. Much like the Bobby Fuller season two episode we referenced, um, Cooke's death had many questions surrounding it. Oh, yeah. Uh, But before we get to that end part, we have to start all the way back in 1931 in Clarksdale, Mississippi, where Sam Cooke, C-O-O-K, was born and um, he added the E to the end later on in 1957.
1: Yeah. Was it to throw people off his trail? Nope. <laughs> he uh, changed it on the advice of a business, business partner, musical advisor, named Bumps Blackwell, who thought the extra
2: E was classier. Yeah. We can't have K-O-O-K. That's trashy. <laughs> That's trashy shit. How dare you? Uh, so his dad, Charles Cook, was a minister in the Church of Christ and had eight children Jeez. with his wife, Annie Mae. Sam was the fifth born child. In 1933, the family relocated to Chicago, where Cook was enrolled at the Doolittle Elementary. Good name for a school.
0: I certainly did little in school.
2: Yeah, but like in (laughs) elementary
1: in general, you don't do as much as in the other grades.
0: I learned how to read an analog clock.
2: I feel like I learned a lot in elementary school. I learned fractions. I remember
1: trying to get out of doing like analog clock tests or just even like I have a hard time reading clocks.
2: You have a hard time reading words analog <laughs> jake
1: i mean the other what's the other
2: one
0: digital digital
1: so analog is the normal one analog is the one the with one the hands, hands on okay, yeah, that one. in a circle i remember like it was fourth grade and i was like touching my ear during this test because i was so nervous and i was like there's a bump here i have to go to the nurse because i did not want to do the test and my teacher was like everybody has that bump on their ear take the test and then i failed the test and had to go to a special group <laughs> <laughs> what has happened with clocks clocks it was a clock, oh, test. Failed the clock oh, test yeah I failed oh. it I couldn't read them oh. I also thought like quarter after was 25
2: yeah that's fucking confusing uh, yeah it is I can't do it when a dollar is made up of 100 parts and an hour right. is made up of 60 like so what the fuck say,
1: give me a quarter and I'll give you 15 cents bitch
2: anyway <laughs> <Jesus>. <laughs> not- I, I'm gonna turn the volume down in my headphones real fast <laughs> oh my god <laughs> my
1: they're mom not, has are not metric this on the clocks that's me. why. Yeah, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Bing bong. I think I'm just being louder than usual. I'm eating the mic.
0: Bit. Yeah, you're you're on it today.
1: Well, that's good.
2: That's how you're supposed to do it every episode.
1: <laughs> put it all put my whole mouth yes. around it.
2: <laughs> um okay, anyways, um, it sits in the back of your throat. Yes, later <laughs> later <laughs> Sam Cook. I was going to say Dane Cook. I was like, that's sorry."
1: Right. Um, oh, I learned a fun fact about him. What? His brother stole like millions of dollars from him. Oh, shit. His brother was like a, a, his business financial advisor, and he was just funneling all of his money away from Dane Cook.
2: Damn. Hmm. Yeah. That's fucked anyway, up. Yeah. Don't you ever... Wait. Who's your financial
0: advisor? I would never here. take your money.
1: <laughs> I um, can't even read clocks. <laughs> you think I gonna muzzle. <laughs> I'd be like, Alex, guess what I did. You'd be like, you bitch, that's stealing. <laughs> oh.
2: All right. So... Sam Cooke mm-hmm. later went to the same high school that Nat King Cole attended a few years prior. It's called Wendell Phillips Academy High. Um, and as you guys know a lot of our stories that we cover feature people who came from very musical families and Sam Cooke is no different when he was six years old he was in his first musical group with his siblings called the singing children which I think is creepy it
0: is kids are creepy enough without singing yeah,
2: yeah.
1: <laughs> and if you get a whole chorus of them together you Ugh. can either record like a bad Christmas album or a horror movie soundtrack there's yeah. no in between kids mm. are freaky
2: yeah um, then as a 14 year old Sam became the lead singer of the highway QCs according to Wikipedia this group has been active for over six 70 years. Wow. Singing traditional jubilee quartets and some, you know, they had some instruments too. Um, this The group was formed by Sam and some other teenagers at the Highway Baptist Church in 1945 and it helped to launch the careers of Sam as well as blues, soul, and R&B artists Lou Rawls and Johnny Taylor. Lou Rawls was Cook's neighbor and initially sang in a r- rival gospel group.
0: Could, could you imagine them walking down the street as <laughs> a group and then you know, you run into a rival gospel group and they just burst into very aggressive sung gospel numbers trying to outdo each other and prove their dominance. I imagine you know?
2: them snapping. This,
0: yeah. It's like West Side, West Side Story makes yeah, yeah, pitch thinking. perfect.
1: <laughs> I mean, yeah. we all know how much Alex is a, flan, a, f- a fan. <laughs> 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 You're a fan. <laughs> You're a fan of Flash mobs, So you would like. I see with like binoculars watching across the street. Because you, you don't want to get too close because you'll have to join in. Are you so being you're just
2: sarcastic? Like, yes. Okay.
1: I also had to Google the word flash flashmops because I couldn't remember it. So it's like, obviously, <laughs> they're so memorable. I can't even remember what it's called. <laughs> I was like, group when people sing together. And it's like chorus. When I'm they
2: like, come oh. out of
1: uh, their acting <laughs> the like
2: they don't know each other. Yeah. And then they, but they somehow all know the same choreography.
1: And they, it, the crowd just dissipates it's after so they're all done. It's so fucking cringy. It is weird.
2: Like. There was, I mean, do you
0: remember. Performance what performance like, art. Mm, you need to learn how to, how to accept that and was it, enjoy it was like, like everybody else
2: 2012 is when they were the
1: most popular it's like flash mobs where everybody wants yeah. like
2: with yeah, proposals like, like someone ago. in the mall just starts fucking singing right. and then like the police officer comes by and does a pirouette and is like i'm singing too and he was never Can arrest
1: it? him for impersonating a police officer yeah
2: <laughs> <Fine>. <laughs> arrest them all for being fucking nerds um in 1950. Uh, 1950 had sam cook replacing the lead singer of another gospel group called the soul stirrers who were already signed with specialty records and their first tune with cook fronting was jesus gave me water they also had other songs like jesus paid the debt and jesus helped me write the song <laughs> no and <laughs> peace in the valley <laughs> cook did something uh that few people could do he made gospel music interesting to younger listeners. For him, it was a bunch of, you know, it was just like a bunch of chicks who would rush the stage to catch a glimpse of his babyly face and maybe even catch a drop of his sweat. Ew.
0: That's kind of gross. I hope they didn't have their mouths open.
2: <laughs> you bet they uh, did. Were drooling.
0: Ew. Anyways, <laughs> I, I listened to all of these and then some. Uh, they're done in acapella, which is a style that includes a singer or a group of singers without uh, an instrumental accompaniment. Think like barbershop quartet, if you're not familiar with the acapella term. Mm-hmm. Um, I'll admit gospel is not very high on my list of genres that i listen to really yeah <laughs> in fact it is generally at the very bottom Aww. Not, not, not a go-to for me sure. um, but i gotta say these are these were a lot of fun to listen to uh, i had them playing on my little bluetooth speaker on my coffee table while i was working on this and i was like i gotta fire up the big speakers for this because they the like the recordings were very nicely done the songs were great i don't know i just i just really enjoyed it 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 made me want to listen to more Hmm. in his gospel. It's the weirdest thing.
1: Huh. The Lord is speaking to you. Yes. Yes,
2: you've been been converted.
1: (laughs) (laughs) So the harmonies are enough to keep me interested in the song itself, so I can see why it was popular. However, I find it very ironic how these are like wholesome Christian songs, and you have young girls fawning over him. Like rightfully so, but come on. Like you're supposed to be saving yourself for marriage. Oh ladies. <laughs> Fuck you. I'm kidding. Anyway, but this is a good time to mention that we do create specifically curated playlists to coincide with each death by music, full episodes, not the short ones. Don't even get me started. But for the most part, they're chronologically in order of like when we talk about them and they have a bops. Um, you can find the playlist itself by searching death by music team on Spotify and they will be individually labeled under each of our like personal profile. So Yeah, like we each have episodes. We like have, have the Cook Death by or,
2: Music podcast page, and then if you search "Death by Podcast Team," then you'll find all of the playlists. But yeah, um, Cook ended up getting married in 1953 to a singer and dancer named Dee Dee Mohawk.
0: Uh, as cool as the name as that is, it's. Uh it was actually her stage name. Her real name was Ooh. Dolores Elizabeth Milligan. Where well, do you actually Mohawk
1: from Milligan? I'm your hair. I I'm now, but what? I was like, what do you even mean? And then I was like, that's I mean It's because she has a Mohawk. But it's not sticking straight. It's more of like on the front of her head it's like a, a
2: Mohawk. Okay. <laughs> Cook's first pop and soul single was released in nineteen fifty six. It was called Lovable, and it was released under the name Dale Cook. Classic white guy name.
0: Sam isn't. <laughs> no. <Nah.
1: laughs> this song itself actually gives me Patsy Klein's crazy vibes, but like more pop. The piano hmm. notes in the beginning are very similar. However, Crazy wasn't released until 1961. So Sam did it first. Uh oh, I'm calling the cops. Well, I guess we should complain to Willie Nelson because he's the one that wrote it.
2: Um, okay, I'm calling Willie Nelson. He's still alive, right? <laughs> yes. Yeah. Um, <laughs> nope. well, actually, uh, Sam was looking to branch off to secular music. And at the time, it was pretty stigmatized for gospel singers to sing songs that were not about god no surprise once people heard his voice they weren't fooled dale cook they were like bullshit that's sam cook uh i even had jake play some sam cook in the car because i was i was writing this as we were driving to georgia yeah and i was like throw it on and immediately like within two seconds of hearing his voice jake knew who it was yeah so like this guy's not fooling anybody no
0: <laughs> yeah well i i, I knew i had heard him before just not necessarily who he was um But you recognize the voice. Yeah, very recognizable voice. And I'm sure a lot of you out there listening have heard him before. Um, Unfortunately, he's one of those people I've never had a name or a face to associate with his voice. Mm -hmm. He's just music Mm -hmm. that I've heard, uh, which is really common for me. Um, There's a lot of music I heard growing up. And even now that I can say, yeah, I've heard them before, but I couldn't tell you who it is. Yeah. Which is, I don't know, maybe that's just me.
1: No, because I have a story. My mother listened to a hell of a lot of Rod Stewart growing up, Mm -hmm. and that man (laughs) has so many cover songs. I Googled it. There's like 111, but some of those are Christmas ones, I guess. That he's done? That he's covered. Yes. So, I I mean, that can also consider like playing live if someone's like written it down or whatever. But up until about high school, until I started like watching Gilmore Girls because Carol King does the theme song, that I was like oh my god the song so far away is by her originally and i heard it and i was like hers is so much better why was my mom listening to rod stewart that garbage <laughs> so yeah you I hear that rod stewart mean. fuck you no but like carol did it better it was her song <laughs> anyway but yeah so there are things that i can say like oh yeah i've heard that or not and it's like oh yeah it's by this person and and
2: I'm, you're like what no yeah, i thought like, that was a rod stewart song yeah
1: nope carol king
2: Uh, screwed me up for a while. (laughs) Luckily, Sam's label guys, they gave their blessing for him to use his real name while recording secular music. However, they did not like the kind of music that he was making, which was soul. Mm. Specialty Records also had Little Richard on their label, and they wanted Cook to write that kind of music, uh, which is like rock and roll, like original rock and roll. Thank God he didn't, because fucking hate Little Richard.
0: (laughs) Indeed. Uh, (laughs) Speaking of Little Richard, did you know that in the uh, May of 1994, Weird Al played uh, Wheel of Fortune with Little Richard and James Brown. Wow. Nice. They, they they played as like uh, one person. They had like a third person there. Then it was, uh, you know, I Little Richard like I, and James Brown. I saw Brown. a
2: video of them doing that. And like James Brown didn't know what the fuck was going yeah. on. He, he didn't know how drugs. to play he, this game. Yeah,
0: he really didn't. But it, it was pretty cool. <laughs> uh, also, small fun fact, Weird Al parodied James Brown's uh, Living in America, which was titled Living with a Hernia they and can be found in his, his 1986 <laughs> album, uh, Poker Party, for those of you interested. Which you should all be.
1: I I did want to make sure I did put a Weird Al song on the playlist this week. So in honor of the sixty or the eighty-six released album Polka Party, you get addicted to Spuds,
2: which I'm assuming is a Robert Palmer addicted to love. Mm -hmm. Nice. Um, Oh, and speaking of God, Weird Al's God basically okay. um cook's father the reverend was actually very supportive of him doing like secular music unlike marvin gay's dad remember his dad was like a minister and he fucking hated him yeah
1: we should totally te- keep a tally of all the musicians we talk about with supportive fathers all certain- this is the first one
2: <laughs> <laughs> so one tally right um he told cook that what he's saying wasn't what he's saying was a, not important, but that God gave him a voice and musical talent. And the true use of his gift was to share it and make people happy. Oh, this is a Christian with common sense. Wow. Cute. That's rare. Um, this is when <laughs> Cook added the E to his last name. He was now seeking a fresh start.
1: Remember, it's classier. So sorry to all
2: you cooks with no E's. Yeah, trash. In uh, 1957, Cook's career launched. He performed on The Guy Mitchell Show and also signed with Keen Records. He would go on to have 30. Top 40 hits in America over the next seven years. In like,
1: America. <laughs>
2: <laughs> Beginning with You Send Me, which is a great song. Yes. This one went to number one on Billboard's R&B Records and even the Hot 100. The Rock and Roll Hall of Fame recognizes this song as one of the 500 most important rock and roll songs ever.
0: It's just got that great 50s rock and roll sound to it. It's so it's so so totally nice. understandable. It's yeah. it's awesome.
2: Uh, so Cook wrote... He wrote the song, but he gave credit to his younger brother so that he could receive the profits, which is really chill of him. Um, Ironically, You Send Me wasn't even supposed to be the single. The A-side Summertime was, but DJs favored the former and it basically broke overnight.
1: Yeah. Written in 1934, Summertime was one of the first compositions by George Gershwin. Um, He worked on that for his brand new opera, Porgy and Bess, which we talked about. If I ever have a child,
2: Porgy is... Sure.
1: It's a great name. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> the Jazz Empire Empire the jazz inspired song is a lullaby for Clara the girl in the the play to sing to her child and reprise several more times throughout the opera itself Um, The hit went on to be covered by thousands of artists from every genre, from disco to reggae. The most notable cover for me was Ella Fitzgerald. Hmm.
2: All of a sudden, Cook was a secular star rather than a gospel star. Mm -hmm. So here's some classic 1950s racism stuff. It was rare at the time for a black R&B artist to cross over to the pop charts, and it made the white folk uncomfortable. So they had Teresa Brewer cut her own version of the song. And guess what happened? Cook's version once again took the number one spot and beat out her version, which could only get to number eight. You You Send Me is looked at as a landmark in the soul genre that Sam was a part of creating.
0: The Teresa Brewer version was good, don't get me wrong, but Sam's version absolutely had that Sweet fifty soul vibe. It was excellent. Do
1: you think that they went to Teresa and was like, look, you have to record this better than the black guy? And do you think she knew why she was recording the song?
2: I mean, yeah, (laughs) I think she knew why, but that's just how it was too. So why are white people acting like they
1: invented all genres of music? we're well, not here to gatekeep
2: just, that's, <laughs> that's just what they be doing oh <laughs> shit yeah yeah so it's kind of fucked up
0: yeah just an example of how the in- industry is telling us what it wants us to listen to not what we actually want to listen to
2: yeah i just like how in the end uh the people have spoken you know they're mm-hmm. like nah fuck that shit yep so now in 1958 sam and his wife Dee, they get divorced in the same year he married his second wife barbara campbell which his dad officiated. Together, they had three children named Linda, Tracy, and Vincent. Um, And Vincent tragically drowned in their swimming pool. I think he was like two years old. He was really young.
0: Yeah, he was pretty young, and it really affected... Sam yeah. Pretty, yeah. Ba- pretty badly. We fucked him up.
2: So, apparently, also in 1958, another woman came forward claiming that Cook was her own son's father. Um, he paid her $5,000 to settle out of court. I was like,
1: that's it? But then I googled it and $5,000 in 1958 is equivalent to about $47,000 today. Shit. So mm-hmm. Wow. That's, it's a lot of money. That's wild.
2: Yeah. Um, he had two other children out of wedlock, too. Um, Sam was a real ladies' man.
0: It might have been a good reason for wanting to expand out from the gospel scene. Huh? <laughs> so
2: 1958 was a pretty pretty busy year um towards the end of it cook was also involved in a serious car accident where his chauffeur edward cunningham was killed cook his guitarist and lou rawls all had to be hospitalized and to make things worse cook's first wife Dee, Dee was killed in a car accident that year too um sam paid for all of her funeral expenses so like he just got hit with a whirlwind of shit yeah in a very short time um, 1960 brought another label change Cook signed with RCA Victor and was offered $100,000 which is around $870,000 now that's fucking crazy um, one of his first singles here was Chain Gang followed by nine more hits including Cupid, Bring It On Home To Me, Another Saturday Night, and "Twistin' The Night Away
0: the, 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 all of those are such great songs yeah. and I'm so glad I got to grow up listening to them with absolutely no racial bias mm-hmm. Like I couldn't tell you if he was black, I couldn't tell you if The Rolling Stones were black or white or it it just wasn't in our household. So, yeah,
2: yeah, that's true. It's just good ass music. Yeah. Um, but you know what Cook didn't need the label nerds in charge of him he was one of the first black singers and composers to found his own record label which was SAR Records and a publishing company CAGS Music (laughs) CAGS
1: his label itself didn't feature his own music but was created in hopes that he could expand his artistic abilities as a writer and producer and give struggling African American artists a venue to record during the racially charged 60s those artists included the Soul Sirs with Jimmy Outlier and Johnny Taylor singing Lead the Valentinos, Billy Preston, Mel Carter, the Sims Twins, Johnny Morset, LC Cook, which was actually Sam's younger brother, and then Johnny Taylor again, but as a s- solo pop artist. So, nice. Yeah.
2: Um, so this was a very single-driven time, and over his short career, Sam pumped out twenty-nine top forty singles, and wow. even more, even more than that, charted on the R and B charts. Um, so in 1963, Cook signed a five-year contract with a new manager, Alan Klein to kind of run the companies and be his own manager. Alan Klein was an American businessman, music publisher,
1: writer's representative, and record label executive. He was known for his tough persona and aggressive negotiation tactics, many of which affected industry standards for compensating recording artists. Mm -hmm. He founded ABKCO Music and Records. He represented other artists later on, such as the Rolling Stones and the Beatles.
2: Yeah, and he's the manager guy that we talked about in Bobby Fuller's episode. Oh, same deal. It dude. all coming together. Yeah. So okay. go back and listen to that one, like we said. So Cook is, he was very inquisitive about his contract um, and his cut from RCA Victor, but they wouldn't open up their books. And this is where Al- Alan Klein and his mob enforcer friends come in to renegotiate some contracts. He found tons of errors and he scored a really rich contract for Sam, but not without its stipulations. Mm -hmm. So the next part is kind of confusing. So I just copied it straight from Wikipedia. But this information is going to be very important later on. Okay. So from Wikipedia, Klein negotiated a five year deal and it was it, it was three years plus two option years with RCA Victor in which a holding company called Tracy Limited, named after Cook's daughter, was owned by Klein. And managed by J. W. Alexander, so that um, holding company would produce and own Cook's recordings. RCA Victor would get an exclusive distribution would get exclusive distribution rights in exchange for six percent royalty payments and payments for the recording sessions. For tax reasons, Cook would receive preferred stock in Tracy instead of an initial cash advance of one hundred thousand dollars. Cook would receive cash advances of $100,000 for the next two years, followed by an additional $75,000 for each of the two option years if the deal went to term.
1: Was this cash advances per album?
2: Um, I think just per year. But, but they're basically... Okay. Yeah, remember this information because That's it is it, a strange though? deal. Um, And we're going to have to get back to it when we get to the conspiracy okay. theories. But That's basically, fine. there's like... We own your music for the next five years. We'll give you a cash advance, but you don't get the money from it. You know what I mean? And then if you complete the five-year deal, then you own the music. Okay. If you complete the five-year deal. Right. So okay. Um, okay. we'll come back to it later on. Sure. So just know it, it, it's an interesting deal. It would be nice if he was getting like actual money and shit. But Yeah, the kinda... royalty thing. So with great power comes great responsibility.
0: Thanks, Uncle Ben. Spider Man nerds out there.
2: I thought you were talking about the rice. rice. So, yeah. <laughs> like, mm, no, hungry. that's racist. It's racist. <laughs> um, and oh Cook- my God. <laughs> Stop. Cook- we can't break this early. <laughs> <laughs> Sam <laughs> Cook stepped out to the plate. Uh, With his role in the civil rights movement, back to the song A Change is Gonna Come, which is another great one. It is one of the most influential soul tracks and was added to the Library of Congress for being culturally, culturally and historically important. This song is based on the events that took place on October 8th, 1963, when Cook was traveling with his wife to a holiday inn in Shreveport, Louisiana. Shreveport. Oops. (laughs) So he was going to this holiday and he called ahead to make his reservations. But when he showed up uh, at the front desk, they got nervous because he had this big group come in. And then they were like, oh, sorry, we don't have any vacancies like bullshit. So Charles, his brother and cook, they were both pissed off and they started demanding to see the manager. They didn't want to leave. They wanted their damn room. Cook's wife, Connie, urged him to calm down. She was just whispering you know, that they would kill him. And Sam responded, they're not going to kill me because I'm Sam cook. Was he thinking that these racist people knew who he was and was listening to his hits? They probably knew his name, but they didn't give a fuck. Right. That wasn't going to stop them. (laughs) Right yeah eventually um they were persuaded to leave they did so cursing and laying on their horns the whole way out which you know rightfully so because right. fuck that and then they drove down to the castle motel police were waiting in the parking lot and arrested the group for disturbing the peace mm-hmm. um what the fuck oh new york times ran an article the next day saying negro band leader held in shreveport which excuse me like what the fuck it is sam cook and he's had at least 25 hits at this point like what so they did try and dial it back 56 years later in 2019 with the shreveport mayor apologizing to cook's family and giving them a key to the city posthumously too little too late mayor well
0: hold your horses uh shreveport's current mayor adrian perkins is black and he's fairly young at that he's about 36 or so he was born and raised in shreveport he graduated from west point fucking amazing and while there he was elected uh, class president, making him the first African-American cadet wow. to hold that position. Also awesome uh, in the in the 200-plus years of that institution. Holy shit. Yeah. Uh, first one, 200 years, yes. He, uh, he yeah. then went on to become a captain in the U.S. Army. Also fucking awesome. Uh, he was elected mayor of Shreveport in 2018, and he's actually their third black mayor in a row. Uh, their previous mayor was uh, Ollie Tyler, their first black female mayor.
1: Nice. Another
0: big... Uh, milestone there anyways i think perkins was absolutely sincere and cited you know the song cook wrote about the incident uh, that change had come Uh, it certainly wasn't like they were trying to backpedal in an attempt to make the city look better Uh, Perkins seems to be getting shit done too. crime and homicides are down uh, budgets balanced Uh, he even got a sagging pants ordinance repealed (laughs) which I do think I recall hearing about in the local news
2: (laughs) yeah that sounds vaguely familiar well let's get that finally after 56 years fucking somebody's doing something right yeah yeah. so that event combined with another song about racism which was Bob Dylan's blowing in the wind Cook, they made cook decide to write his own he couldn't believe that a poignant song like dylan's could come from someone who wasn't even black and then he felt kind of bad that he himself had not attempted to write his own song on the topic obviously sam was already walking on eggshells just for being black you know he stood to tarnish his image and lose a bunch of his white fan base with the song at first cook just opted to add uh, dylan's song to his set but after hearing Martin Luther King Jr.'s I Have a Dream speech that year, the composition for A Change is Gonna Come ha- it came to cook in a dream.
1: Some of the lyrics include, it's been too hard living, but I'm afraid to die because I don't know what's up there beyond the sky. But this, to me, is a pretty controversial statement from someone coming up from like a background in church music. Mm-hmm. But just a theory, maybe he didn't want to create Christian music because he wasn't really sure he was conflicted with his own religious beliefs and he knew strongly he needed to make soul music and just like the song it was just further proof that he was moving in the direction he needed to be in the forefront of like the historical civil rights movement Mm -hmm. so
2: so after um after christmas of 1963 sam went to a friend's house and he previewed the song for him they were both pumped but his friend warned him that it may not go over well being his first political song Mm -hmm. so like you said he's Kind of branching away from the religious stuff into politics. Biographer Peter Guralnik says it was less work than any song he'd ever written. It almost scared him that the song, it was almost as if the song were intended for somebody else. He grabbed it out of the air and it came to him whole, despite the fact that in many ways it's probably the most complex song that he wrote. It was both singular in the sense that you started out, I was born by the river, but it also told the story of both a generation and of a people listen to the song it's fucking awesome uh the initial recordings were passed off to arranger renee hall who composed it like a movie score he intended for it to be the greatest piece of his life pretty much everyone who worked on it felt that the song was nearly perfect and they all felt like it was the best work of their lives it was first performed on the tonight show with johnny carson in february of 1964 cook's new manager loved the song and he begged him to perform that one instead of his most recent single but cook was skeptical on performing such a complex piece live so his manager pulled some strings (laughs) and got a full string section together to perform with him
0: i see what you did there Mm
2: -hmm. strings uh the network failed to save a tape of course and two days later the beatles made history on ed sullivan um so it kind of i feel like it got overshadowed and we don't even have like, proof of it happening, which sucks. And that was the only time that he ever performed the song live. Ugh. Yeah. The civil rights movement um, picked up on the song immediately. It was
1: adopted as an anthem virtually upon its release.
2: Two weeks before the song was officially released as a single, Sam Cooke was dead. Hmm. Uh, On the night of December 11th, 1964, Sam was spending time with a 22-year-old sex worker named Elisa Boyer. She had just met him that night at a restaurant where she was sitting with three men before Cook arrived with his producer Al Schmidt and his wife. So Elisa and Cook, they kind of gravitated towards each other. They ended up ditching their parties and rolling over to a nightclub in L.A. in Sam's Ferrari.
0: Yes, fun fact, and not to get too far off topic, but Sam owned a 1963 Ferrari 250 GT Luso, which means luxury. Uh, which was bought by Ooh. none other than Dennis Wilson of the Beach Boys after Sam's death. Cool. Selling for approximately $13,000 uh, brand new. Uh, they're starting to hit over $2, mi- uh, two million these geez. days in perfect Jeez. condition. Um, there wasn't any auction information for his vehicle, but I'd imagine it it would come in well over that $2 million mark yeah, with Dennis, the history attached to it.
2: Dennis Wilson and uh, we covered Dennis Wilson on the Beach Boys episode mm-hmm. season one. Cook and Schmidt made plans to meet up at a
1: nightclub called PJ's later that night, but Sam never showed up. Schmidt said he went home and was later told that Sam had gotten there about 15 minutes later just before closing and they wouldn't let him in. He was with this girl.
2: According to the investigation, she had requested several times that Sam take her home. He instead opted to take her to the Hacienda Motel.
1: Cook drove Boyer 15 miles south to the hotel where they checked in just after 2.35 a.m., signing the register as man and wife. Tsk, tsk, (laughs) they weren't actually married.
2: Yeah, Lisa says that in the room, he forced her onto the bed and stripped her to her underwear. Fearing that she was about to be raped, she convinced Cook to let her use the restroom where she tried to escape. Apparently, the window in the bathroom was stuck, so she came back to the main room. He proceeded to touch her, and then when he went to use the restroom, she grabbed a pile of clothes and dipped, accidentally picking up some of Cook's clothing.
1: Yeah, Boyer told police, "'I knew he was going to rape me,' and according to her story, Cook disrobed and entered the bathroom, at which point she grabbed her clothes from a pile on the floor.' In her confusion, Boyer says she also picked up Cook's clothes, which contained his wallet and cash. Hmm.
2: Uh, So she first ran to the manager's office and banged on the door, but the manager took too long to come out, so Elisa continued to run. She found a safe spot to hide, put on her clothes, stashed his stuff, and then called the cops from a payphone, telling the dispatcher that she'd been kidnapped. Um, At this point, Cook also ran to the office and began banging on the door. So the owner, Evelyn Carr, said that she was on the phone with the hotel's manager, Bertha Franklin. Bertha Franklin was the one in the office. And over the phone, Evelyn heard the events taking place. So she heard the conflict and then she heard a gunshot. And at that point, she called the cops. So Franklin, who was in the office at the time, says that Cook rolled up banging on the office door shouting, where's the girl? Talking about Elisa. Franklin yelled that nobody was there but her, but Cook did not believe her. He pushed his way in. He was naked except for he was wearing one shoe and a jacket. Um, And then he allegedly grabbed the manager. They got into a scuffle and ended up on the floor. Franklin broke free and grabbed her gun from her desk and fired upon him in self-defense, hitting him once in the torso. Cook said, perplexed, lady. You shot me, and then um, advanced on her again. So then she hit him with a broomstick on the head, causing him to fall to the floor where he laid until he died. Franklin testified that Cook grabbed
1: both of her arms and started twisting them. She started kicking, trying to bite him through his little jacket that he was wearing. I guess it was like a sport. It was like a sport
2: coat.
0: Blazer or something.
1: Um, She was biting, fighting, scratching, everything. Franklin grabbed her 22 pistol and squeezed off three shots. Two missed, but the other tore through Cook's heart and lungs
2: yeah mm. now it's important to note that we have some differing opinions of what happened that night between Boyer and Cook, as her account is the only one that we can even hear. yeah diners who saw the pair out earlier reported that Boyer willingly went to the motel room, okay, but consent can be revoked at any time mm-hmm. just because she was having a nice time out doesn't mean that she can't feel threatened if he were to start pushing her down and taking her clothes off, mm-hmm. just saying. Um, Some have suggested that she grabbed his clothes when she left because she was trying to rob him. Um, Allegedly, he had a huge stack of cash that he was flashing around at the restaurant. Interestingly, when she was searched by police, she only had $20 on her. Cook's money clip was found in his car with about $150, but the $5,000 wad that he was waving around at the bar was never recovered. Mm. So, some some personal thoughts at first i was i was inclined I, I am inclined to believe her here because would she really run to the manager's office and like bang on the door if she was committing a crime right like yeah. would she run up there and be like oh my god he's trying to rape me if she was literally robbing him of five thousand right. dollars just
1: ran off and then left
2: yeah um would she call the police? Because she ended up calling the cops from a phone, a payphone too. Like, would she call the police if she was the one committing the crime? Right. Um, But I guess an argument can be made here that if he is a black man and it's the time of the civil rights movement, um, you could just say that he looked at you wrong. And I bet you just get the cops to come out there and kill him. scot uh. Free. I mean, it's happened before. Yes. um, And there was... A story that I was thinking of. I couldn't think of um, who it was. Emmett Till. You found it?
1: Uh, Because I think you're thinking of Emmett Till, right? So supposedly he like winked or groped a woman in a store.
2: I was thinking of this story... And I tried to look it up, but it wasn't. It wasn't pulling up the right stuff. Hey guys, it's Alex. I just wanted to hop on after the fact and clarify because I found what story I was thinking of. It was the Tulsa Race Massacre. Uh, Dick Rowland was a 19-year-old African American shoe shiner. Um, he was arrested for assault. In May of 1921, um, the alleged victim of the assault was a white 17-year-old elevator operator, Sarah Page. She declined to prosecute. According to reports, um, he tripped in her elevator. He kind of stumbled and bumped into her on his way to a segregated bathroom. And a white store clerk reported the incident as an assault or a rape. So the resulting the whole fucking mob of this thing is that, um, mobs of white residents were deputized and given weapons by city officials. They attacked black residents, destroyed their homes and businesses in Tulsa, Oklahoma, and, uh, they destroyed more than 35 square blocks of the neighborhood. Insane. And this was the place that was known as black wall street. It was one of the wealthiest black communities in the United States. And they just burned it to the ground. Um, let's see as many as 800 people were admitted to hospitals, 6,000 black residents of Tulsa were interned in large facilities for several days. And the commission gave several estimates ranging from 75 to 300 people dead. And it was all because he tripped. This information is from Wikipedia. Now let's get back to the episode. Yeah, they dragged like,
1: his body. They tied his body to a car and like dragged him through town. It's yeah. Emmett Till. But okay. I, I don't know the specifics. I don't know if he was at a store. Like initially, I think when I first heard the story, because we learned about it in school that like she said oh he winked at me and then the boyfriend was like jealous or something right. but then it was like oh he groped me but then even more recently she was lying the whole time yeah she
2: literally made it up and he got killed and, over it yeah
1: i linked an article because i was like it's, why what did she even say like why would she do that and then it her attorney it was like direct quotes from her attorney saying like oh she couldn't remember it, what exactly happened but it wasn't that and i was like oh my god what an asshole yeah so, so that's yeah, what that was i was thinking Is like story. yeah she
2: could i mean she very does it make sense no but she very well could have just ran up to them and been like oh my god call the cops he's trying to rape me and then Ugh, like people i, I don't know i mean we the unfortunate thing is we will never really know how events unfolded because one party is dead and they did not have to be killed right um so now shit's getting weird. Uh, Boyer's role in the whole thing wasn't really brought into question. The police were only seeking evidence in the case of Franklin shooting him. So they weren't really concerned with what was happening in the hotel room. Right. They wanted to establish if she was acting in self-defense. The fact is Boyer left his hotel room with a bunch of his clothes. Toxicology stated that Cook was inebriated so jurors could understand why he was acting crazy and half naked. Right. That's really all they needed to know. And because Boyer and Franklin didn't really encounter each other... Um, You know, both of their stories seem to line up, too. Mm -hmm. Um, They both passed polygraphs as well. So the jury accepted and returned a justifiable... uh, Returned a justifiable homicide verdict. The case was closed. Forensic pathologist Dr. Cyril H. Wecht argued in the 2019 documentary, Lady You Shot Me, that the death could not have... It couldn't have been justifiable because Sam was only wearing a sport coat and he didn't have a weapon. Therefore... Franklin could not have been in fear for her life. Uh, I don't know. That's bullshit, in my opinion. Yes. Um, he was five foot ten and he was drunk. So I wouldn't really cite, oh, but he didn't have a weapon. Like, you shouldn't be scared. Yeah. Like, fuck you. That's a, like, yeah, if a drunk an angry man.
1: man is coming at me without a weapon, like his whole body could be a weapon, especially if he's like six inches taller than me. Yeah, hell no. Mm, I'd still be freaked out.
0: Yeah, I didn't get to see the documentary. I'd really like to know exactly what he was getting at there. But anyone coming at you, like we just said, in any sort of oh. aggressive manner would be scary. Like, even, like yeah. I don't know how to fight. and somebody comes at me, some guy, I'm like, yeah. I'd be scared shitless. He
1: was also a man, so he doesn't know other men are scary. <laughs> yeah.
2: Yeah. I mean, I totally see how Franklin could have been in fear for her life. Like, what the fuck?
0: Yeah, that's, that was a stupid... Especially
2: if he was like... If we assume that Elisa's story is true and he was literally about to rape a girl and then he's coming over here and he's going to fucking get in a tussle with this lady. Right. And if she like, learns what the what makes details. him not capable of murder? Right. That's if we are deciding that that is the version of events that happened i'm just saying that like in general men are scary like they could fucking kill you if they wanted to it's literally happened a million times so okay like that's just a dumb argument on the forensic pathologist part i think Mm -hmm. um of course cook's family and fans reject that version of events they think that there was a big conspiracy going on
1: fans of cook believe that his death was a result of a setup claiming that boyer was a prostitute working in cahoots with the motel manager rob cook the Hacienda Motel was a n- well-known hub for pimps and sex workers, and Boyer, according to theory, lured him there on purpose.
2: Yeah. So, some evidence to support their case: uh, Etta James saw Cook's body before his funeral. Etta James is another singer of the mm-hmm. time, so she saw his body before the funeral. She indicated that he looked really badly beaten, uh, and it could have been it couldn't have possibly been sustained by a brief altercation with the hotel manager. Like she was she was like middle-aged lady like she Mm -hmm. didn't beat the shit out of him you know um she wrote that his head was nearly separated from his shoulders his hands were broken and crushed as well as his nose and you can see some of these things in the photos taken from his funeral Fingers don't bend like that. They
1: do when they're broken.
2: Did 55-year-old Bertha Franklin do that and simply walk away with a few spots of blood on her shirt and one bruise? Like yeah, I don't think so.
1: There's actually no direct evidence to p- support this story. And Franklin was a former madame with a prior criminal record. So maybe. Yeah.
2: So Bertha said that she didn't know who Cook was when uh, he checked into the hotel, but she notified him that he and Elisa would legally have to check in as husband and wife and Um, she said that he was drunk but complied she also said that elisa did not seem distressed at the time and here we circle back to his manager alan klein who was also suspected by conspiracy theorists to be involved in the death of bobby fuller Mm. alan did after all own the rights to cook's recordings as long as he didn't finish that contract through now there's a documentary called Lady You Shot Me the Life and Death of Sam Cook that came out in 2019. this film alleges that Klein was a predator. Cook's family never saw any royalties or benefits from any of his music. it all went into Klein's corporation. the documentary theorizes that Klein was behind his death so that he could be the sole beneficiary. Uh
1: now it makes sense Mm -hmm. it's fucked up but it makes sense. now you fucked up
2: uh during the inquest sam's attorney barely spoke with witnesses saying that he seemed afraid apparently he was hired by alan klein klein also had a lawyer marty mcchat i don't fucking know how to say that marty mc (laughs) mcchat marty mcchat i don't know (laughs) that did his dirty work Klein was also associated with Morris Levy, an enforcer for the Genovese crime family. We've talked about them before, too. Yeah, because that was with the Bobby Fuller one, right? Oh, probably. I think. um, The Soprano. He he was like, (laughs) he had mob ties. He was like a scary dude. So Levy routinely robbed his artists of their royalties, but Klein seemed to have something on Levy. So when Levy tried to jip Klein's artists out of their royalties, he was somehow able to get the money. What in the hell? Klein knew that record companies were fucking over artists, so he'd get hired and find all of the holes, get them some of their money back, but not without taking his own large chunk after screwing his clients over even worse by restructuring their assets. So he'd give them lots of money up front, like, oh, here's your $100,000 whatever thing this year, Um, and then they would be so happy with that money that they wouldn't notice behind the scenes he was meddling with all their shit. Mm. So that is one angle. And now, let's go back and look at the woman he spent the evening with, Elisa Boyer. One theory is that the Hacienda Motel, like we said, was known for being a seedy spot with lots of pimps and sex workers. Some believe that Elisa was working a setup with the hotel to rob him. They had, after all, passed plenty of nicer places to stay, you know, on the way to this motel. And Cook was basically rich, so, like, why did they go there? Why now? Why this sperm? (laughs) Franklin herself was alleged a former madame, and she also had a prior record. Shortly after Cook died, Boyer was arrested on prostitution charges and was found guilty of murder in 1979. Her former boyfriend, whom she shot dead yeah so according to weeklyview.net elisa boyer had many aliases and had a reputation for being a role artist literally she would pose as a prostitute lure dudes to the motel and then rob them after they stepped out or fell asleep like that was what she did she'd take the men's clothes because they'd be less likely to chase after her if they were ass naked currently elisa is in jail serving a serving 25 to life for killing her boyfriend Mm. so now we don't we don't know what happened either way I don't want to say that sex workers cannot get raped because they can. Yeah. Um. Just because you're a prostitute doesn't mean that you lose your right to consent. In my opinion, we just don't really know what happened. Sam Cooke was very much into booze and women on one hand. And Elisa was also seems to be into thieving. So the truth, I think, lies somewhere in between. But he didn't have to die.
0: It certainly does lie somewhere in the middle. Um, he certainly wasn't a women, but no one that knew Sam knew him to be aggressive towards women like that. Yeah, yeah,
2: because so, he actually like liked women. So
0: yeah, he he he. The documentary that I watched, everybody was like, "No, that that's not him. That he he wouldn't have acted that way." Nobody believed I'd,
2: it. I'd be interested in hearing what his former uh, lady encounters had to say but we can't mm, hear from his first wife because she, yeah, she was died. killed in the car accident um but his wife at the time like y- you can't really ask a friend if he would do that because they don't see who he is like how he is when he's with women like we would really have to talk to his former
0: like ladies maybe who not been in private with. but at, at least at a bar or something if somebody's being aggressive like that they it might come out i would think in in little bits and pieces where people would be like oh okay we could see we it. We could see that. Well, maybe some people happening. are really good
2: at covering it up. I mean, it is entirely possible that he got really drunk and, and aggressive this yeah. time. We just don't know. Like, we have yeah. no fucking clue what happened, but there's a lot of really compelling evidence. Like, why was he crushed? Why were his hands crushed? I mean, when did mm-hmm. that happen? Right. So, yeah, that's what, kind of what we're getting into now the evidence inconsistencies. Cook was shot with a 22, but Franklin's registered weapon was a 32. The bullet was recovered by police and promptly lost. According to Franklin, she shot Cook because she was scared for her life. But instead of shooting him a second time, because like she shot him and then he got up and came after her again, instead of shooting him a second time, she bopped him on the head with a broom. Right? Like why? Because that doesn't not make any fucking she sense. She was out
1: of bullets because she missed the other two shots.
2: I mean, there's five. <laughs> <laughs> it's a revolver. She also
1: can't count.
2: <laughs> yeah. I don't so, know. um, the crushed the crushed hands and the abrasions and the internal internal decapitation that etta james described wasn't mentioned anywhere in the autopsy like w- mm-hmm. what
1: yeah franklin was on the phone with the hotel owner when cook confronted her as we said before and the owner testified hearing the struggle on the other end of the line but guests of the motel testified to not hearing any gunshots or any type of altercations whatsoever
2: hmm. Some blame the LAPD. Instead of conducting a full investigation, they just conducted an inquest on if Franklin was acting in self-defense or not. They didn't even consider any other options. According to Norman Edelin, uh one of the few men of color serving in the LAPD in 1964, the department did not give a damn about minorities. Hmm. Uh, it didn't, he says it didn't matter what code you violated. It started with what you looked like. Even though Cook was a star, in their eyes, he was still a black man killed at a whorehouse. So Edelin contends that the FBI could have been in on it, given their attitudes towards minorities during the civil rights movement. Mm-hmm. Um, the FBI was very interested in Muhammad Ali, whom Cook had established a good relationship with, thus making him a suspect, too. In addition to Ali, Cook was a powerful black man in an oppressive system. Yeah. Mah- Muhammad
1: Ali actually would note that if Cook had been Frank Sinatra, the Beatles or Ricky Nelson, the FBI would have been investigating. Yeah. So.
2: But they didn't even consider it. Right. Um, Cook was one of the first black singers to wear his hair naturally. His songs, Chain Gang and A Change Is Gonna Come, tackled the prison industry and civil rights. Plus, he was unpopular in the eyes of record labels for starting his own label and publishing branch. So, I mean, he definitely had some enemies. Mm -hmm. Unfortunately, we'll never really know what happened to Sam Cook. There's no conclusive evidence that proves the, the official version of events otherwise
0: i I think I have to go along with the people who knew Sam and say that the story Elisa and Bertha gave uh, wasn't true uh, at the bare minimum. Elisa was a hooker, and Bertha was the madam and they were uh they were trying to rob Sam of the five thousand dollars he had on him. And Elisa could have thrown his pants out the bathroom window for someone to grab it, which is why it was Ooh, never recovered
2: that was no it said the bathroom window was stuck. That's what she said, but I wonder yeah, if she did just other do because they couldn't find the money. So they that never is found interesting. the money,
0: and somebody theorized that it could. They, she could have taken it and chucked it out the window, mm. and somebody grabbed it. Um, it was said that Bertha may have had mob connections, which uh, could explain Sam's injuries, reported by Etta James. Uh, they could have. They could have come in and beat him to death, and then shot him and told Bertha to take the fall. Yeah, because she was, was like a nice defense. old lady. Yeah. Um, it's just hard to say because all of the evidence is gone. The only, LA- the LAPD didn't give a shit back then, like we mm. said, and they didn't do an investigation, a proper one and everything's gone. Uh, so who knows? I bet they were even part of the cover up, you know, cause you, you know, who, who knows how far the mob had their hands into the, the LAPD. I'm sure that was a thing back then too. Mm-hmm. Probably.
2: Yeah. Um, yeah, for sure.
0: Yeah. It, like I just said, I wouldn't put it past the mob or even the FBI to have had their hands in this. Sam was probably seen as a threat by the powers that be I mean he was associated with Malcolm X Muhammad Ali and and Jim Brown which were very big names in the in the uh, civil rights movement back then
2: Hmm. yeah and and paired with Bobby Fuller's death too which was fucking weird like he wasn't home and then all of a sudden he was home but he had been dead and he was covered in gasoline and, and
0: his his hands were broken and stuff yeah he was, he was all, all fucked up. up and
2: that's mob shit like mm-hmm. there's no way he would have been able to drive the car mm-hmm. home he was already dead that means somebody drove the car and planted you know and left him there mm-hmm. it just doesn't make any sense and this seems to be similar and that's why the two stories tied together and alan klein was both of their manager
0: mm-hmm.
2: so um We don't know. Cook's funeral attracted 200,000 fans to Chicago on December 18th, 1964. After that viewing, uh, his body was flown to L.A. for another service on December 19th. Ray Charles performed The Angels Keep Watching Over Me at at that service. In the month after his death, an album and two singles were released. A Change Is Gonna Come was finally an official single, and it soared up to the top 10 on the R&B charts and also the top 40 charts. Shake also hit the top 10, with the album of the same name hitting number one on the R&B albums chart.
1: Though he never lived to see the strides he made for racial equality, the song became an anthem for black Americans fighting injustice, played as often today as it was a half a century ago
2: birth of franklin the woman who shot cook had to leave her management job at the hacienda motel after receiving multiple death threats she sued cook's estate for mental anguish and physical injuries seeking two hundred thousand dollars in compensation the estate countersued, seeking seven thousand dollars for funeral expenses elisa boyer cook's female companion that evening testified in favor of franklin and the jury ruled in her favor granting thirty thousand dollars in damages While questions still surround the circumstances of Cook's death, his legacy is indisputable. He was inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame in 1986, the Songwriters Hall of Fame in 1987, the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame a second time in 1989 with the Soul Stirrers, And uh, he has a star on the Hollywood Walk of Fame, a Grammy Lifetime Achievement Award, and is widely considered one of the greatest musical artists of all time.
1: In 2020, writer Kemp Powers and director Regina King released One Night in Miami, a fictional account of One Incredible Night where icons Muhammad Ali, Malcolm X, Sam Cooke, and Jim Brown gathered discussing their roles in the civil rights movement. And cultural upheaval of the 60s or as of us recording this episode it is streaming on amazon prime if you want to watch
2: it <laughs> Q, and that is the story of sam cook and mm-hmm. we don't know what happened curious to hear what you guys think if you have any theories after um listening to this what do you think is the most likely thing that happened um you can you know comment on our post on facebook or instagram if you search for death by podcast team but i don't know i feel like jake's summary is i would say i agree with that yeah i don't know it's tough it's a tough situation because i don't want if he is a piece of shit and an abusive person then i don't want to defend him but i don't fucking know well, you know, it there, really no... would be a shame if, if Elisa was telling the truth and everybody just turned on her because she's a nobody and he's Sam Cook. Like, that would really be a shame. But at the same time, uh, I don't know. She seems to be running fucking tricks on people. and
0: Yeah, there's, there's just no evidence from anybody else stating that he was that type of person. So, yeah, if you're that type of person, somebody would have said something.
2: You would think, you know they so were scared
0: like none of his exes you know n- nobody nobody came, came forward out and yeah said anything about that
2: it's really upsetting because i, w- I would have loved to see where his career could have gone i mean mm. it, only being in the music industry for what like six or seven years at that point to have what 30 Ad- singles yeah. in the top 40 is fucking crazy right what, what could he have done if he weren't killed you know it sucks like the rest of this show People are dying. You know? <laughs> this show sucks. <laughs> this show <laughs> sucks. <laughs> <laughs> this show makes me depressed. Wow. <laughs> uh, it's
0: all my great writing.
2: Yeah, your writing makes me depressed.
0: <laughs> I try.
1: Yeah, it's you know it's not <laughs> depressing. The playlist and there's Weird Al songs on it. <laughs> yeah. What
2: better can you get than Weird Al and Sam Cooke on the same playlist? Right. It is really good. So if you look in the description for this episode, you'll be able to find it. Um, and it really is a treat. His music is incredible. Yeah, um, we play it a lot at work.
1: Just yeah. because if you just do like classic fifties rock and roll, there's yeah. like twelve hundred Sam Cooke songs, like classic out. hits.
2: Yeah, it's good stuff. Um, yeah. So next full episode that we are going to release is going to be on Lane Staley of Allison Chains. We've got we've got a lot of requests for Chris Cornell, Chester Bennington, Lane Staley. Speaking of overdoses, we got the Kurt Cobain episode because that's another one of the Seattle overdoses that we covered um, on the Twenty Seven Club season, and we are about to release jimmy hendrix too on the 27 club patreon season so if you're interested in those episodes it is five dollars and there are going to be like five or six episodes up there real soon
1: it's like a dollar per episode you can afford it
2: it's insane it's really cheap so patreon.com slash death by podcast team we did get a new subscriber ian thanks ian <sighs> um yeah it's and clappy. then jimmy hendrix will be coming out like at the same time as this episode right. so make sure that you guys Are following us on Patreon if you want a t-shirt, send us a message. What else do we Mm have? These headphones are like squishing my fucking brain out of my my head. Yeah, my butt's asleep.
1: We're going to get up.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Uh, This wasn't even one of our longest episodes. We're all like exhausted. (laughs) I have to get another drink. Uh, Cassie's drinking wine tonight. (laughs) She's going to drink a whole bottle of wine. And then by the time we're done with the Jimi Hendrix episode, she's going to start crying. It's going to be like the finale. Maybe on the last episode, I'll drink wine. Oh, how fun. Aw. Well, thank you guys for sticking with us for this show. We truly appreciate you. If you could write us a review on Apple Podcasts, that'd be dope. And then we'll read it. It, We'll read it if it's a shitty review, too. If you give us a five-star review and then write something really fucking mean, we'll read it. That'd be great. Yeah, that'd be fun. <laughs> that'd be really exciting. Just make sure it's five stars. Okay, thanks. Rest in peace. Bye.
0: Later. Find <laughs> <That'd be great. laughs> <laughs> some other ones, Jeez.